Let's go. Uh, you guys are the real MVP. Time change Sunday and spring break. I mean, geez, you guys deserve a prize, a cookie, actually a donut. We have you donuts out in the back, and you can have free coffee and donuts or whatever. You guys, uh, thank you for coming today and being here. Whenever I was a little kid, I used to hate getting my hair cut, kind of. And, uh, and, but I, what I really liked is we'd go to this place called Fantastic Sam's, and uh, it would, they would, at the end, they would like drop this like little toy that was just really terrible, honestly. It probably cost like a penny. And then... And, but it was like the only thing that got me going. I was like, I really want that toy, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, today, I wish I could give you toys, but all I can do is give you coffee and donuts, all right? So thank you for coming. I am not the youth pastor is the way this has started. My name is Josh. I'm the community engagement pastor. And Pastor Craig is not here. He's our lead pastor. He is in Israel. He's taking a group of 50 to 60 people from here who are in Israel. They're doing a tour. They're also doing a church plant uh, where we have... We are starting, and they're having a worship service there, uh, and they are going to attend that. It's like the first time that we have gotten to, as a staff, go to the church that we've helped plant it, that you have helped plant in Israel. And so they're going to also do a community engagement event with some local military groups that are there, and they're going to hand some stuff out and spend the day with them and pray with them. And so we have a person of peace that's helping there. So anyways, just pray for them as they're this week. It's really, really great that they're there, uh, but you've got me, all right? So let's do this. We're going to open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And you're going to be in verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 6. We are in the life of David, as it was just described to you. Uh, so we're looking at, we're starting, we've already went through David as a little boy. He was a little shepherd boy. And then he became a, a giant killer. He was slaying Goliath. And then he uh, was winning more battles, becoming an awesome warrior. And then Saul got jealous, who was the king. And then he's, now he's hiding in the cave with a bunch of men. Uh, that was what happened last week. And then this week... Right before we are at this, this, this passage we're about to read, I mean, King David is the dude. Like, he is the king, like, full-fledged. All the tribes are together. They're all like, let's do this. This is great. Life is good. We're defeating a lot of people. We're, we are making it happen, right? I mean, like, let's go. Except there's one little hiccup. There's something that David doesn't have that he really wants, Okay, so we're going to spring break right now, and there's a lot of people this week that you're going to see on social media who are going to post pictures in the mountains or at the beach or wherever they are, right? Uh, or ball games or in Israel or whatever. You know, I'm not trying to rub it in. I hope you guys are going after this, all right? But I want you for just a second to think about a place that you like to go for a vacation or you like to just take away, and it's like your place, right? Maybe your place, your family's place, and you just get away and you love it. Okay, I'm going to think about it for just a second. Now, what happens at the very end of that, that, that trip? You have to start reorienting your mind to go back. And whenever you reorient your mind to go back, usually you're like, man, I've got to like, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. Or you're like, man, I really got to do this again. So if you're like me, I want to just plan it all over again. Like, let's just schedule it now. Let's buy the time chair. And my wife's like, stop. And I'm like, no, the, the cruise is amazing with the, the all-you-can-eat soft serve and pizza 24-7 a day. Like, why would you not want to go back, right? So that is where David is at right now, except for he is like, he's not there anymore. So he wants it back, something back that's really missing, right? And we can all kind of get to that place where we're like, man, we've there, but it's just we haven't completely arrived yet. And David is right at the place where he's missing something. And let's read what it is. All right, verse one, 
This is the word of the Lord. Amen. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to the, bring the ark of God from Bali, Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in the front of the ark, and David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of firwood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. All right, so here we are. David is excited. He's gathering all of his men and they're going and they're going to get the ark. Not just the men. At the end, it says the whole house of Israel. You know what the whole house of Israel is? It's like all the people. And then he's got his band back together and he's got his instruments and they are really going to get the ark. Okay, so two questions. Uh, What is the ark and where is the ark? Why is it not with David? Okay, so let's answer those questions. First, where is it? First Samuel, which we haven't read yet, we didn't talk about, is there's these two goobers named Hophni and Phinehas, okay? They're in charge of the tabernacle and where the, the ark of God, the ark of the covenant is, okay? They're supposed to, to watch that and make sure that everything is good there, okay? Well, what the problem is, they're losing battles. The Israelites are losing battles to the, Israel, uh, to the Phil- Philistines. And that's not supposed to, that's not good. So, These guys just think that they're like, okay, we're going to just figure this out. We're going to make it happen. And we're just going to take the ark down there. And we're going to to win the battle because it's going to be like this, you know, magic trophy or this genie in a bottle. And and they bring the ark down to the battle. Okay, here's the first problem is, is like, number one, God is not this trophy. He doesn't want to be a trophy. He doesn't want to be this, like, uh, this genie in a bottle. If you haven't figured that out yet, that's just a, a real thing. And so what ends up happening is tens of thousands of Israelites died that day. And not only that, Hophni and Phinehas, they died as well. And the ark got taken by the Philistines. Then word gets back that everybody's dying to Eli, who's the high priest, and Phinehas is the son of Eli. And, he, and Eli hears this, and then Eli is in his chair. He's older, and he falls over, and he dies. And Phineas' wife, who's pregnant, hears that Phineas is dead, the ark is taken, and she goes into labor, and she has a son named Ichabod. She names him Ichabod, which means the Lord departed from us. This is not good. So where is the ark? The ark is with the enemy. The ark is with the Philistines. That is not good. The presence of God has always needed to be with his people, the Israelites. It's with the Philistines. So what happens? Well, the Philistines... They don't have good luck with it either. There's, they're, all of a sudden they get all these tumors, they get these plagues, they get stuff that happens to them. They're, they put the ark next to one of their gods called Dagon and then Dagon falls over and his hands and head fell, falls off and they're like, we're done with this ark. We need to send it back. So they put it on a cart and then they just kind of point in the direction of David and they're just like, hey, we're gonna send it back to these guys because this is not, we don't need this anymore, right? I mean, who wouldn't do that? The problem is they put it on, an, uh, on a cart, which we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. In fact, we just saw that they put it on an, another cart right now, okay? So David is about to go get it, but there's a few men that go up before that to go get the ark. The ark is the, where the presence of God is. And so what's happening, 
they, they get to the ark, and they open up the ark because they didn't want them to take, they want to see if the Philistines took what was in the ark, and, uh, and they did it, but they weren't supposed to touch the ark, so 70 more people died. Okay, so now you have tens of thousands that have died. Now you have 70 people that are died. And now David is like, we've got to go get the ark. Okay, it's at Abinadab's house. Let's go get the ark. So they go, he gets all of his people and he's going to get the ark, which is awesome. Okay, again, well, well what is the ark? Like, what is the ark? It's a good question. The ark is the ark of God or the sometimes known as ark of the covenant. That is the way that God's presence was chose to be with the people. And so, as you can see in this box here, uh, this, in Exodus, it was very descriptive on, and, and detailed on how the size of the box, what it was supposed to look like, uh, what was in the box. There was tablets from uh, the law, from Moses, that was in there, that represented God's rule. There was uh, manna in a jar, in a preserved jar, that was supposed to represent, supposed to represent God's provision. And then there was uh, the blooming uh, staff of Aaron as he led him through uh, to the promised land. That was supposed to represent God's power. On top of that box was called the mercy seat. That's where one time a year the high priest would sacrifice an animal to the Lord on the mercy seat. And then above that is the wings or the cherubim that represented the, the angels or the cherubim of God. That was it. Now, I was thinking, it was pretty funny to me. I don't know where I got this. Just weird things pop up in my head. But I'm like, people are all the time like, don't put God in a box. And I'm like, well, God kind of put himself in a box. So don't, be careful what you say about God, all right? You should just probably read the Bible and then you'd figure it out, you know. Uh, but this is the Old Testament. I know you think that this is probably like a, a, like, this is like a history lesson here. And it's just like, what are we getting to? I'm like, okay, there's a lot of really good stuff that's from here. But what I want us to hear right off the bat with this is one of the things that we do when we come in here is we want to hear a word from us from the Lord, right? We want to hear from God. And so we come in and we kind of expect like, man, I hope that Craig says something today that really hits me that I can really grab. And there's nothing wrong with that because God cares about you individually. There's no question. He cares about each one of you and he knows you. He knows how many hairs that are on your head. I don't know how that he knows that, but he knows you intimately and wants to know you intimately. But so many times we try to put ourselves in the spot of David or we put ourselves in these weird spots where we're just like, hey, this is all about me. And if I can figure that out, then I'm going to be able to act on what God wants me to do. And David is very clear here that whenever he's going to get the presence of God, he's not trying to do it himself because he's probably learned that many times. What he does is he gets all of his men and he gets all of Israel, the house, the whole house, and he's like, we're going to get the ark and we're going to celebrate and we're going to praise and we're going to dance and we're going to be like, because the presence of God is the most important thing because I wouldn't be here if I didn't have it. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been able to defeat all the people that we defeated. I wouldn't be able to, to, to be a, a little, you know, ship, shepherd who is like going to feed, defeat a big Goliath. Like he has all these promises and all these uh, recollects, all these instances where God has come through for him. He has a personal relationship with God. But one thing that he knows is, is that God used not just David alone. He used all these people to help him move in the direction of God's purposes. 
The thing that helps us when we look, we need to look at David not as us being David, but let's look outside of David and look at David as a leader, maybe more of a type like Jesus. Let's look at him as like who we aspire to be and who, like maybe someone leading us. What are we learning from him in that? And all I need to, this is the first thing I extracted from this that I got that I just kept reading over and over is that God's presence is really good for us. If you're taking notes today, that's, I only have two points today, and, and I may not even get to the second one because I haven't preached in a while, so I just talk a lot. So God's presence is really good for us. Like, what I mean that is he had to bring all the people with him because he wanted to celebrate together with him. He was dancing. He was going nuts and crazy, and he had all the, the worship that was happening, and he was just so, like, excited to get the presence back because he knew he really wasn't going to last very long if he didn't have the presence of God with him. All right, how many of you guys are forgetful people? Anybody a forgetful person? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a forgetful person. Like, I don't, it's not that I try to. The older I get, the better that I get. So, um, but like this week, Craig and I went to, to eat lunch and we were both there. It was 1230 to two and we had another meeting at two. We had to be back at the church at. So we were just talking and we get really passionate about what we're doing. Like we get passionate about the mission. We get passionate about God. We get passionate about people just coming to know and to follow Jesus. And so we're talking, 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 talking. And then we were like, oh, it's like 1225. We had to get back over to the church. I get to the church and I'm like, hey dude, you got the receipt? Did you like, do you have the receipt for lunch? And he's like, I don't know the receipt. I'm like, oh, I didn't have it. He goes, did you pay? And I'm like, no, I didn't pay. Did you pay? He's like, no. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'll go back. So I got back in the car. I got there and two sweet old ladies had paid for our lunch. And I asked, I asked the people, I'm like, hey, do, who was it? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, can I see the credit card? And they're like, heck no, you're creepy. And so, and so if you were those two old ladies that paid for our lunch, thank you. I'm serious. I don't know. You may, I haven't heard, nobody's come up yet, but I'm sorry too also, okay, on behalf of us. But we, I'm just kind of a forgetful person. So what I do is um, I, I usually try to, you know, get better at it. And so uh, I have these trackers. I don't know if you know what a tracker is. There's pictures of them right here. Like there's these little Bluetooth trackers and they, they help you, uh, you kind of sync them to your phone. And then uh, this is an Apple one. It's called an AirTag. And the cool thing about an AirTag is that when you use an AirTag, it takes all the millions of Apple devices and it pings off of those. So no matter where you're at, at some point it kind of knows where your important thing is, whether you put it on a wallet or keys or a bag or something, okay? Well, some of you are like, there's privacy, issue, privacy issues on this. I don't like this big brother thing. And I'm like, sorry, every illustration breaks down at some point, okay? But what I love about these air tags and this idea is, is it pings off of, so it continually finds where your important item is right? That's, that's what the most important thing is, is that we're finding that. This is very similar to our worship to God and to us as believers that we need every day. If we are constantly thinking about it from the perspective of like, what can God do for me and how can I figure this out? And if I just manage my sin and figure this out, then everything else will happen and it'll be good. But honestly, you're a part of a bigger plan in this world. You're a part of a way bigger plan. And we... We have to understand that God is using the Spirit of God in other people to be able to speak to us every day. To be able to bring us to a place of, man, we can worship God because he hasn't forgot about us. He sees us. He knows us. And he loves us. So this week was really hard. Just be honest. Like, you can tell I'm a pretty positive person. And I'm like... Like, I got on my knees because I believe that 
sometimes our body, the way that we put ourselves, our posture before the Lord, like I got before my knees and I just literally told him all the things. I told God all the things. Like unfiltered. God, I need you. Why? What are you doing? This is crazy. This is hard. I trust you, but it's really hard to see it. It's really hard to feel it. Ultimately, my, we found out like yesterday that my wife is going to have to have surgery tomorrow because for the last four or five days, she hasn't been able to walk. She had a herniated disc back in August that she got fixed and then it re-herniated and she can't walk. She can't go anywhere, you know? And so now you've got Mr. Forgetful Nurse who's in charge of him. I'm like, God, what are you doing anyways? Like, this is, this is not helping her. This is not helping me. Like, what is happening, you know? And I'm like, I'm just, I was just, I'm tired. And I don't have the answers. I mean, this whole month has been hard. You know, my daughter, like, had a season-ending injury for soccer and can't finish her high school career. And I'm like, and we had a surgery for that too, you know. And I'm like, there are moments and there are times when it just gets so unbearable. But I can promise you this. God has constantly, through people's worship, and I'm not just talking about people going, I'm putting out good thoughts towards you. Hey, Josh, good, good thoughts for you. You're, you can do it. You can make it. No, there's people who genuinely, they seek the presence of God and they care and they know that God sees and they're willing to serve and to act upon this obedience to going, hey, I want to love people and I want to serve people and I want to keep the most main thing. The main thing, what's important is, is that I love people like Christ. There are people all over this world who's doing it. I mean, there's a guy that came up to me after this last service. And he said, hey, I just want you to know, my wife is going through the same thing. He had a son and a daughter, and they, she's having surgery tomorrow. And I was on my lunch appointment with Craig, and Craig was talking about this guy, and then he introduced himself to me, and I was like, what happened? This just happened to me Saturday. Anyways, and I got to pray with him and his son and his daughter, and just, we just got to sit there, and God, like, God saw me. And I'm not saying this in a way that like God doesn't see you. I'm saying like I'm looking out here and I know that it happens. I see many people that are trusting in the Lord and they're, they're depending on the presence of God. And that all that pinging happens help us to go like, man, you are good, God. This, there is a purpose. There is a plan. I can keep going. There is hope. And people who don't have that is so frustrating. It's so hard because I do know that God comes through and it's nothing that I do. I mean, if you look at this next part of the verse, we're going to read, a, because I talk a lot, we need to get back to the scripture and read this. We're going to read verse 6 through 14. I want you to read what happens here and how, that this is, this is how God acts in our life. Romans, uh, in, in verse 6, when they came, this is going to be a long one, guys. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place outburst against Uzzah as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went, and he had the ark of God brought up from 
Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted calf. David was dancing with all of his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. Okay, so we have David. There's a lot to this. I want us to look at Uzzah and I want us to look at David. Okay, so we're looking at Uzzah. What's happening is David, man, they got the ark and they're going, but they're on a new cart. Why did they do the new cart? Well, the new cart, because they saw what the Philistines did. So they're like, hey, let's put it on an old cart. Uh, let's put it on a new cart. And it's like, no, 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 no. God was specific to you and what you needed to do. You don't put the ark on a cart. You carry the ark. So God's probably a little bit mad already. And then the ark starts to slip. Uzzah, who's in charge of it, Uzzah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew that this was the presence of God in the ark. And Uzzah took his hand out, and then he died immediately. And David was mad. Was David mad at God, or was David mad at Uzzah? David was mad at God. How could a God that you're talking about do that to someone like Uzzah? Like, why did that happen? And honestly, it's really, really hard to explain. It's really hard to see unless you actually get to a point in your own life where you see your own sin for what it is and your own wretchedness for what it is, and then you see the holiness of God and how great the glory of God is. I read this week that it says the holiness of God versus our holiness is like a tissue paper trying to land on the sun. Like, Haggai said, he's like, man, uh, there's a prophet in the Old Testament. He said, man, God can't even look on evil, much less behold anything wicked. Like there's nothing that God, it, God, you can multiply that times a billion, million, trillion about God's holiness versus our holiness. It's like me getting a cup of milk and me just like all of a sudden like, it's a good cup of milk and I want to give you the cup of milk, but I've kind of got a virus. I'm not feeling well and I sneeze in it. I'm like, Sorry, but here you go. It's good. It's like 99.9% pure. You're going to, it'll be all right. They're going to be like, no, I ain't drinking that. Why? Because it's just, it's not pure. And that is what God, that's what happened with Uzzah and what happened with God. And you know what? So now let's, let's, let's look at David's response. David's response was, is whenever Uzzah died, David wasn't really mad at Uzzah, didn't say. David was mad at God. He was angry. He was like, oh my gosh. And then that anger turned to fear. And he was like, dude, we can't have the, the ark here. Like, this is a lot. All these people are dying. We got to put this somewhere else. Out of fear. Reverence. God's, God uses David as his leadership, right? Well, then, then the ark goes to this family who does treat the ark right in the presence of God right and does the things that has been asked for them to do, that has been commanded of them, the rule, the law, that they're doing that. And then all of a sudden the house gets blessed and everything's good. What does David do? David's like, I'm no longer feared as much. I'm like, let's get the ark back. Let's get the presence of God back. Why? Because he's like, the presence of God is really good for us. I know that it is. It's just hard. And what I love about David is he is a, a complete picture of who we are in our relationship with God and his holiness and our non-holiness. <laughs> because the thing that matters to him Okay, this is the second point, and I finally got there, so you guys are good. Is that we must focus on God's presence. 
God's presence should really be our focus. And David, he seems like an emotional basket case, right? I mean, he seems like he's like, oh, I'm not David. Like, you're probably picking this up right now that you're like, oh, he's going to probably tell me to don't touch the ark and to dance, okay? Well, I have kids, so I know if I tell you to don't touch the ark, you're probably going to touch the ark, okay? I'm not going to tell you to dance either. We don't want to see that. All right, but what I am going to tell you this is this. David is, his worship is a direct response to the worthiness of God in his life. So many times we get caught up trying to do everything right and to try to not do anything wrong before we feel like God's going to use us. And David is a great picture of his worship. Like, and his focus is like, I just need the presence. I'll do whatever. I'll dance with all my might before the Lord. I don't care. A linen ephod was like underwear for priests. I'm not joking. It wasn't like Batman underoos, but it was like a, it was, it was underwear. That's what it was, it was an undergarment. So if he's out there dancing as the king and he's going down the street and all of the house of Israel is there, what, what, is, what is that? Why? How? Who does that? If you look at him and you go like, Josh, okay, listen, you can just stop talking about worship and I'm not, I'm not really... I'm, I see that David's like that, but that's just not who I really am. I think we just, we're going to lose probably the focus of what this passage needs to tell us today. So I'm going to need you to open, I'm preaching to myself. I need you to, to open up your heart to this too. I want you to read in verse 16 what happens. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michael, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Michael's focus was not on the Lord. Michael's focus was looking at David and on his foolishness, just being undignified, dancing with his, because of the worthiness of God in his life. Man, what a picture. I want you to let this soak in, and I'm going to start talking about some stuff that's probably a little controversial, but oh well, here's, here it goes. Uh, so I am the worship pastor. I'm, the, I'm not the worship pastor. I oversee the worship ministry here at Cross Creek Church, okay? Um, so I, I oversee, I'm the community engagement pastor. I oversee the ministries from the street to the seat. So all the love local, all engaging in our community, all the guest services of getting people in the door and helping them assimilate, helping them find community and finding people who can ping together so they can be able to do the purposes of God all the way to, um, to the worship, to the seat right here. So all of the worship leaders and, and the tech crew and uh, all of them, like I get to oversee them, get to hire them, get to help them be leaders. Now, I'll tell you right now, I am not a instrument player or I kind of sing. You see me every once in a while do that if you're here much, uh, but I don't really push buttons. I'm not a gearhead, uh, but I do know one thing, okay? I do know the main thing that I want us to do is to come in here and to experience the presence of God together, shoulder to shoulder. That's what I want. 
And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how that looks like. In fact, I grew up in Baptist world, okay? We're Baptists here. I'm a Baptist, and I grew up in Baptist world. And when I talk about worship and what we're doing, then we stand really still, we stand really reverent, and we don't want to mess, like we don't want to cause distraction to anyone else. But I'll tell you right now, we can sing with some volume. I mean, like when we sing a song, like a hymn or something that we've known that's been in the past, I mean, we will add some vibrato to it. We're like, oh, gee, you know, and then we're just like in it. You know, we clap. We don't really clap to the beat very well, but we clap. We start out clapping a song and then we never finish clapping a song, right? And then if we do raise our hands and we kind of raise our hands like, like with our armpits down, you know, because it's like, you don't, again, you don't want to be a distraction. You don't want to hit somebody next to you. Like you're just trying to like, and, and this, is my, this is my posture. Okay, this is what I do in worship. And I'm seeing it, and, and hear me in this. You probably think that I'm making fun or I'm just like, uh, this is not it. I grew up doing this and I'm still here doing it. And I think that there are a million people out there who are Baptists who are love the presence of God and who genuinely care about the presence of God and they stand there every Sunday and singing. Now, do I think that that is the picture, the ultimate picture of what God's trying to get us to? No. Because every day, I mean, one time, you know, at some point in our life, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. So whether you feel weird or not kneeling down, I'm like, at one point it's going to happen. And in fact, in Scripture, multiple times, it talks about how we're kind of psychosomatic people, where we are people who, uh, we, we use our, our brain, our mind, and our body to learn. And so it's not just what we know. It's how we respond and how we act that really helps us learn and grow. And I'll take it even further to help us know who God is and what he wants of us. How he created us. So I can tell you, this is where it gets, keeps getting better. Uh, over 20 times in Scripture, we're encouraged, not even encouraged, we are commanded. It's an imperative that we raise our hands in worship. So if you're new here and you don't know anything, right, you're not Baptist. Maybe you're, a, um, you're Episcopalian or you're Presbyterian. I have my brother and sister, they're Presbyterian ministers, and they worship a totally different way. And they have, there's Catholics do some liturgy, and there's different ways in which you worship. Or you're on the Pentecostal side, right, where you're like coming in and you're like stretching and you're like, I'm not pulling a hammy today. Like, I'm going to, like, we're doing this deal, right? The Lord, you know, and they're very, like, outgoing and loquacious and talkative. And they'll talk back to me, like, yeah, you tell them. You tell that enemy, Josh. And, you know, like, they'll just tell you. They'll, they won't just say amen. Baptists are good at just going, amen, 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 amen. You know, you may have heard your dad do that next to you, okay? Uh, but there's a lot of places. Listen, there's, a, there's millions of people outside the world who are doing it completely different than you are. But whenever we get in this place, we all of a sudden start to feel the pressure of what it is. Now, here's the deal. That pressure is good because we are a body and we need to function and work together. And what I don't want you to hear me say is today is like, you're not like me, so you need to be more like me. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our worship is a direct response to the worthiness of God in our life. The, our worship. I'm telling you right now, I did not put a song after this so that you guys could get up and dance in the aisle. We're just going to walk out of here today because we just need to know, like you need to think about, is the worthiness of God in your life displayed for you and your friends and your kids to see? 
Psalm 143, 6. I spread out my hands to you. I'm parched. I'm like parched land before you. Lift up your hands. Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Looking at the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8. Men, I want you to hear this. I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Men, our kids need to see us modeling what it looks like to pray, to lift our hands and surrender in the same way that we, our mind and our body, as we start to lift up our hands. It is, there's studies done, all, all the archaeological studies from the Bible, whenever they talk about worshipers or they paint pictures of worshipers, their hands are lifted, extended before God. May we be like David and that our heart is so inclined. May us not be like Michael who just, just wants to just judge it. That song was okay this week. This, this, you know, the lights were kind of weird. I wish they turned them up. Like, I don't really like when that guy sings. I, I, I just want to get my coffee. I want to go outside. I want to come in whenever Craig speaks because I don't really like the worship part of it. It's too loud. It's all those kind of things. Like, all those things to me are, are, the most important thing is that we get here together and we say, God, you are different and you are good and we give our life to you because you are worth it. And my life is a wreck and my li- life is hard and the only person who's going to actually help me in life for now and eternity is you. I pray that today you're encouraged in that. I'm going to leave you with this. Okay, because I know some of you right now are looking at me like my head hurts because I'm trying to think about how I'm actually going to do this. And this guy's talking like a podcast on 1.5 or 2.0. All right. But the good news is this. That the wrath of God that was put on Uzzah isn't put on us. The wrath of God that in our mind we think we've got to do better. We got to read more. We got to learn more. We got to have more, more, more before God's going to really love me and before everything's going to break through in my life. And it's like, no, 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 it's not it. The wrath of God was placed on Jesus, on the mercy seat, on the cross, so that we might be made right. So that somehow we could fathom that God's holiness was not going to hurt us, but it was going to help us. That it was going to save us. That God was rich in his mercy. And he gave us his son who died and rose again. And so because of that, we can have the spirit of God alive in us. And we don't have to worry about all these decisions that we make that we know that we're probably going to screw them up. I don't have to worry about my wife's surgery. But like David, I can be angry and I can fear, but that can turn into dancing because of the worthiness of who God is. If you don't have that hope today, I hope that you have him. Because it's not just for today. The flesh is fleeting. 
our humanity is fleeting. But God chose to love us. He chose to die for us. He chose us to give us life and for eternity. And that is worth celebrating. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for the story of David. And we thank you, God, for the way that you speak in your word. And how it lasts generations upon generations. Thank you, God, for your presence. That we have a direction. Thank you for all the people that you use, that when we don't feel you, we don't sense you, that God, that that come up and undergird us and love us and help us and move us forward. And if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their savior, as the ultimate example of sacrifice, I pray, God, that they know you today. There's not a bunch of crazy things that they have to do. It's just ultimately just say, God, I'm, I'm sinful and I know that you forgave me. I know that you died on the cross, that you rose again so that I might be made right with you. And they just start to learn what a relationship is and that they receive uh, the spirit of God in their life and so that, that that spirit can guide them and direct them, and they can use their giftings and grow in their giftings, they can bear fruit. I pray, God, that someone would, that they'll know you today, that they would know you. God, I thank you for just the opportunity we get to worship. I pray that, God, that we get to worship freely here in this building with each person here, and God, I love them dearly. I love their hearts for you. May we continually grow. May we look at David. We may look at Jesus and just go, God, we want our worship to display, be a direct reflection of the worthiness of you in our life. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.